Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm going to fix some stuff up here. Good morning. Before we dig in, um, y'all ready to dig in again this morning? Y'all been having a good time at Creation Fest? Give God a hand praise if you've been having a good time. All y'all can do better than that. Tell God you've been having a good time. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Um, I'm excited, and again, I'm thankful for the vision of Pastor Harry and all of the people that all that goes into putting this on. It's a lot to put on, and so sit on up. I mean, a lot goes into putting something like this on, and so we're thankful to God for Pastor Harry and his whole team for putting this on. Let's give God a hand praise for them one more time. One more time. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I want to dig into a topic today because one of the things that I think is very, very important is that we understand how God works and how God works on us. And one of the biggest issues in our life, as we talked about yesterday, when we talked about perseverance, somebody say perseverance. As you develop and as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you develop in the ideals and disposition of what it means to be a Christian and how Christianity works in your life, God does things in your life, uh, like we said yesterday, to make you look like Jesus. One of my favorite things to communicate is in John, I mean, Romans 8, 29, it says, God is up to a, a major thing in our life, and guess what it is? He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That means that God is booby-trapped our lives and everything in it and recycling it in order that we may look more and more like God the Son. And so we come to a passage today that I think is a very, very uh, uh, encouraging passage, yet challenging passage at the same time, uh, that will help encourage us, not in what I would call ghost Christianity, but true Christianity, not ghost Christianity, but true Christianity. When I say ghost Christianity, I'm talking about made-up Christianity that makes us feel like everything always is going to be peachy and okay. But what I like about being a believer in Jesus Christ and the cross points us to this is that God didn't just prepare us for the enjoyable days. He's, he's, he's prepared us in Christ for the challenging days. Let me say that one more time. Uh, he didn't just prepare you for the good days that you think you'd experience. He, he prepared you for the challenging days. Joy isn't merely given for the days that are good. Peace isn't given just for the days that are good. Comfort isn't given merely for the days that are good. But those things are things that God has given us for flashlights in the darkness. As we begin to develop and have challenges in our life, God has put those things in our spiritual pockets as mechanisms to help us to oversee and get beyond what we're going through. And as a matter of fact, if he keeps us in there for a while, if he challenges us in there for a while, we have those things as pit stops and encouragements to our soul. So the text that I want to talk through today is in the book of 2 Corinthians. It reads like this. Reads like this in verse 7 through about the 10th verse. And I'll be out your way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay. So that the extraordinary power may be from God, help me today, and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not 
in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. I want to talk about real briefly today, broken to get a breakthrough. Look at somebody next to you. I know y'all are a little far. I'll say broken to get a breakthrough. One more again. Broken to get a breakthrough. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And so one of the things that we look at and we see the principles of brokenness, the Bible talks about it in Psalm 34, 18, and it talks about it also in Psalm 51, 17. It talks about the fact that God is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. You know why I like that verse? It's because if you're going through something difficult, God scoots up closer than to you than he does when you're not going through something difficult. Let me say that again. When you're going through something challenging and your heart is broken and you're being put in what I would call a dependent disposition, listen, what begins to happen is, is God wants you to experience his nearness unlike, other, uh, unlike any other time. And in this passage, I believe it's beautiful what Paul is going to do, but let's define brokenness. In the Old Testament, when it talks about brokenness in these particular areas, this is what Brokenness means, brokenness means to be shattered, crushed, maimed, devoid of arrogance, wounded, contrite, injured, smashed, grieved, distressed, crippled, wrecked, demolished, fractured, handicapped, and disabled. That's a lot. But listen to my definition I've coined from that. Check it out. Brokenness is the spiritual state by which we are disarmed, listen, of our self-dependence and pride. Let me say that again. Brokenness is the spiritual state by which one is stripped of one's self-dependence and pride. And guess what happens? When you and I are, are separated and challenged and pushed away from our self-dependence and pride, guess what begins to happen? What begins to happen is, is God can use you. God can't use you until you get rid of your need for you. Oh, that was good right there. Somebody should tweet that right there. God can't use you until you lose your need for you. You're not a conduit for God's help until you recognize that you need his help. Somebody help me right there. I'm so glad that God puts us in a position to help us not to walk in self-confidence, but Christ confidence, not self-confidence, but Savior confidence. And I believe the global, uh, the gospel globe tried to himself. Paul here in this passage, he's walking through a beautiful thing here. He begins to walk through to the Corinthians, who is an arrogant church. I know we don't have any churches represented here that are arrogant or anybody that deals with any pride. But this is for you to tell somebody else when you come across them being like that. Um, Paul came across this church because this church was extremely spiritually immature because of their commitment to pridefulness, fleshliness, and cultural love versus cultural engagement. And when he began to say, no, I want you to grow up. In other words, you got to put, my grandmama used to say when, when you grow up, she said, you got to put your big, your, your big, your grown man uh, britches on. That's what my grandma, she's from South Carolina. She used to, I didn't know what britches was until I was like 10 years old. I found out it was pants. But she said, put on your grown man britches. And what, and, and what Paul is telling them, put on your grown man britches and your grown woman dresses. Why is he telling them this? It's because he wants them to know. <laughs> that he wants them to be careful of how they view Christianity because a lot of people 
who don't understand Christianity fall away from the faith when difficult times come because they think that becoming a Christian means all challenges end. But how many of you know that when you become a believer, that's when some of your greatest challenges begin? The reason why some of your greatest challenges begin when you became a Christian is because you didn't know how messed up things were. And when you found out through Christ that stuff was messed up, you began to be sick into your stomach and wanting things his way. And when you begin wanting things God's way, the enemy is not glad about that, and he's angry at it. And so this text that we're in, Paul begins to let them know, like, I'm not qualified for ministry. See, they like fly preachers back then. You know, they like, they like, the, I know we don't do that today. They like the preachers to dress a certain way and look a certain way in the Corinthian church, you know. Uh, but Paul said, man, I got stripes on my back. I get my butt kicked regularly. Um, I get stoned. So this is, so he began saying, what qualifies me for ministry is not my self-promotion of myself. Help us today, God. But it is the disposition of God putting me in a place of constant God neediness. Let me say that again. Paul says what makes him valuable in ministry is not him putting out a flyer about himself, how much he tweeted, how many likes he got on Instagram, how his Snapchat is popping off. No, that's not what makes him good at what he does. What makes him good at what he does is that God strips him of his self-dependence, put him in a position where he can do nothing else but depend on the living God. So the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay so that the surpassing greatness of the value, that's amazing, may be from God and not us. I like that. Um, what Paul is pointing to, and they would have understood this colloquialism very, very clearly, is he used the word uh, 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 clay pot. Somebody say clay pots. Or y'all can do better than that, say clay plots. So he's comparing the human body of a Christian to a clay pot. Now, why in the world would he do that? Well, back in their day to understand their background, one of the things you got to recognize <laughs> is that valuables were always placed in vessels that looked nice. In other words, if you had some pearls, which pearls back then were more valuable than diamonds, if you had pearls or you had some gold, you know, you had some fly bling, what you would do is you would put it into like a gold vessel, a silver vessel, like a vase, we say, according to what side of the railroad track, you say vase if you're from the hood, if you're from the suburbs or somewhere fly, you say vase, you know what I'm saying? But whichever one you, 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 you decide you want to do, you would put it in, whether it's a, a, a gold vase, a silver vase, a bronze vase. In other words, that lets you know your status and lets you know that you had something valuable stored on the inside of it. But Paul goes countercultural. He talks about this because he could have said, we got this treasure in gold vessels. Look how fly we are. That's not what he said. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay or clay pots. That. He said, for the surpassing greatness to be from God, not ourselves. So if somebody came in to steal your stuff in your house, the first thing they would do is they would go to the vases or vases or clay pots, right, that had nice, that, that looked really, really nice because they would say, something amazing has to be in this because of how this looks on the outside. In other words, this is gold, this is silver, this is bronze. There has to be something of value on the inside of it. Therefore, I'm going to reach on the inside of it. I'm going to reach on the inside of it and get something out of it that's great. But what Paul does here is he used clay pots. Now, I don't know if you know that, but old school, like we got porta potties out here. 
clay pots were porta potties back in the day. So he basically says, God has done something different than what normal people would do. God, see, God, God does things differently because God is not concerned about the outward. He's concerned about what's inside. <laughs> so what he ended up doing is, is Paul is saying, we put or God puts valuables inside of people who don't have any value. In other words, what brings us value is not what we have in this life. What brings us value is not who we have in this life. What brings us value is not how much stuff we've accumulated. But what brings us value is the fact that the renewing power of the gospel has taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And once that happens, Jesus Christ himself, the superstar of the universe, his imperial majesty gets on the inside of you. And he lives inside of you. And now what gives the clay pot value and makes it worth a whole lot more than what it should be is based on what is on the inside of it, not this on the outside of it. Let me tell you something today, believer. Your value is in nothing around you. Many of us are trying to find our identity in so many different things. We're trying to find our identity in who likes our page or who we go out with or what we have in our sphere. But the scripture says that we have a beautiful treasure in this earthen vessel. What's the treasure? It's the glory of God in the gospel. Let me say that again. Oh, see, you, see, see Christians should know when to shout. That's the time to shout. The time to shout is recognizing that the glory of God has, is resting in a broken tabernacle to show himself off in you. In other words, no matter how broke, busted, disgusted, and challenging your life is, if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you are a tabernacle of God's grace, a tabernacle of God's glory, and a reflection of the beauty of God because there's so much shining on the inside of you that people aren't concerned about the clay that's on the outside. They are challenged and experiencing and blessed by the beauty of what's on the inside of you. I'm so glad today. I'm going to shout by myself. I'm, I, I wish I had one or two Christians in here that was excited about the fact that you have this treasure in earthen vessels. So, fading glory of the old covenant, chapter 3, points us now to the new glory. We're now the prototype of the new tabernacle. Human beings was Jesus Christ. And him being the prototype now passes the baton to us to reflect his incarnation by now embracing the reality that there's no need for a temple anymore, that the people of God are now the temple but then he goes down, and this is where it gets a little tough. He said, we have this treasure in earth and vessel so that the passing greatness of the value may be from God and not us. Then he says, this is the type of stuff Christians don't like. See, we're like the blessing, I'm highly favored. He's going to give me the abundant life. I'm the head and not the tail. That's good. But right here in the text, it's a little bit different. Pastor Harry, it's a little bit different right here. It says, we're afflicted. In every way, oh my goodness, we're afflicted in every way is what Paul says. Paul talks about in this passage that a lot of things go wrong in his life all the time. This is crazy. He says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. I love that. <laughs> in other words, the idea there of afflicted every way means that everything in Paul's life a lot of times goes wrong at the same time. 
Now, let me do a poll around the room. How many of you ever had a day where everything went wrong in your life? Oh, hands all up over the building. Uh, in, other words, in other words, there there are times in your life as a Christian where you're not immune to everything that is going on. In other words, the, uh, it can be translated to Eric Mason. It can be translated, afflicted in every way can mean to get jumped by your life. I don't know if you've ever been jumped before. Anybody here ever been jumped before? Oh, yeah, you've been jumped. See, I'm feeling you, brother. You've been jumped before where a bunch of dudes came after you and just stopped. Yep. That's what life does to the believer sometimes. It will jump you. And one of the things that you have to recognize, the text says, but you're not crushed. That points to the fact that life can impact you, but it won't remove your ability to stand firm in the midst of it. Y'all don't know when to shout. Everything can go wrong in your life, but you can still be in a place where the impact of the hits of being jumped by life. You are, it's, uh, you ever seen a boxer? I was watching this. I was watching this. I, I'm an avid boxing fan. And this one dude, he didn't really want to fight. And, the, and he hit him a little bit on the head. Money fell out, act like he was all knocked out because he didn't really want to fight. I mean, most of us would have done that if Mike Tyson would have been in the fight. We'd take that million, but would have take the little hit and just went out, act like we was gone. But it's some guys, they get in that doggone ring, and they may not be able to bob and weave well, but they can take a punch. <laughs> That's what I like about this passage. In other words, God is saying, you may not be able to bob and weave like you want to, but let me tell you something. You can take a punch. The death of Jesus Christ in your life upgraded your ability to be able to have more resilience because of his presence in your life. Jesus has strengthened your resilience. Jesus has strengthened your resolve. Jesus has blessed you through challenges. And Jesus has given you the strength to stand firm. So afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Then he says, perplexed. I love this. And this is where I want to park for a second. He says, perplexed, but not despairing. Let me, let me explain something to you. This is very important for your spiritual life. There's a difference between perplexity and despair. Listen, perplexity recognizes that difficulty will happen in your life. Perplexity says, God, I don't know why this is happening to me but I still hope in you. In other words, hope is God giving you a preferred vision of where you could be when you trust in him. That, that's, that, that, that's, it's, it's, it's expectation that things will get better. That's what hope does. So perplexity still has hope in it. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Despair loses hope. In other words, Despair begins to get suicidal because of difficulty. Despair be begins to cast off the value of life. Because let me tell you something, believer, without hope, you can't last a second. You can't last at all. Why? Because hope gives you the ability to see that things will be different. Why? Because hope are one of the pieces of faith. Without hope, you can't believe God for anything. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says faith is the substance of things what? So without hope, hope gives you the ability to see things that you can't see. Let me, let me see if I can make it plain. I, I, I'm going to probably date myself right now. 
uh, in, in the sense of age, a little, a little something, something. I just had a birthday. But I'm, I'm going to take it to another level. Um, there was this dude, um, there was this TV show called uh, The Thundercats. Who remember The Thundercats? Who remember The Thundercats? Okay, a, a couple of people. <laughs> and, and when Lionel, I, I like Lionel, Lord of the Thundercats. That's, that's my man. I like Lionel, you know what I'm saying? And, and he had the eye of Thundera. That was his sword. And whenever he was someplace where he couldn't see everything and he was in a challenging situation, what he would do is he would hold the Thundera in front of his face. And he'd say, Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. In other words, when that sword would, when he would say those words into the sword, the eye of Thundera would give him a picture of where he wasn't in a whole nother location so that he can see beyond where he is. Let me tell you something. Hope is your eye of Thundera. Hope is God giving you the grace to see beyond where you are. When you go through a difficulty, it is okay. Yes, you can clap. Amen, amen, amen. You clap on that. <coughs> perplexity, perplexity is where I challenge the believer to be honest with God. Perplexity is the place where you get up on your Habakkuk chapter 1 ministry. You're like, God, I'm a little frustrated that this happened to me. Why did you allow this to happen to me? I remember 17 years ago, my wife and I lost our first child. Our first child passed. She would have been 17 years old. And I remember when my wife had to have a stillborn child at six months pregnancy. And we had to use our Lamaze class skills to birth a child into the earth that wasn't breathing. And we prayed and we prayed uh, John 11 and said, Christ, you're the resurrection and the life. And we prayed and God ended up not resurrecting our daughter at that particular time. We'll see her later, but he didn't resurrect her at that time. Now, we had a choice. Were we going to get ticked off with God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do, when we wanted him to do it, and how we wanted him to do it? Or were we going to press into our God and believe him and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? See, that's what perplexity does. I remember my wife, um, it's, it's 15 years now, she's celebrating <coughs> having had a liver transplant. My wife had a liver transplant. And going through all of that at such a young age for her, they don't even know how she got the liver disease. She never drank a day in her life. No issues. She, she, I mean, she almost a vegan functionally the way she eats. But she got this liver disease and she could have cursed God. But what's beautiful about my wife and the grace of God on her life is she pressed into perplexity but didn't allow despair to take root. After that, I'm going to give you some more. My wife went through four bouts with cancer. The last bout was this past December. Four bouts with cancer. And she could have said, God, why in the world, if you let this happen to me one more time, I'm done with you. And she had her moments. And God frees you to have moments where you are honest with him because Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your heart before him. Some of you may be going through something right now where you feel like, God, I'm here, but I'm frustrated with you. God, I'm on my last straw. The challenge I want to put before you today is God is using your brokenness as a way to pull you closer to him. Because whenever God wants to do something in your life, remember, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What does God do when he wants to help us through what we're going through. He breaks the vessel. If you want to get to the treasure that's inside the vessel, you have to put pressure on it to get what's inside of it out of it. 
And what you're going through is just another way for God to bring out of you what's already inside of you. So when you look at the passage, let's look at it. It says we are afflicted in every way. It says, but not crushed. It says perplexed, but not despairing or in, or in despair. It says next, it says we are persecuted, but not abandoned. I love that. In other words, no matter what you go through, God won't abandon you. It says, and struck down, but not destroyed. I like these but nots because these but nots in the passage points us to one particular thing and one particular thing only. Is that God may let the enemy loose on your aspects of your life, but only he has an all-access pass. On my wrist, Creation Fest gave me an all-access pass. That means anywhere on these grounds where Creation Fest has covered, I, I have access to. Uh, God is the only one that has an all-access pass to your life. He only lets the enemy have a limited access pass when he's utilizing the stupid enemy called the devil as a means for your sanctification. Because the devil's trying to use what you're going through to destroy you, but God is trying to use what you're going through to develop you. The devil's trying to use the stuff you're going through to pull you apart, but God's trying to use the stuff you're going through for you to pursue him. The enemy's trying to use the stuff you're going through to whip your behind, but God is trying to use the stuff that you're going through to get you to worship him. Let me tell you something. <laughs> that but not means a limitation. Look at somebody and say, but not. Oh, that's good news, but not limitations on that. You remember Job? He told, he told him, he says, listen, family. <laughs> he says, he said, let me tell you something. You can have access to this, but don't do this. Devil like, all right. He said, you can have access to all this, but don't do this. In other words, there's limitations. But let me give you a couple of things in your life, and I'm going to get out your way, that God loves to break. God loves to break up your plans. Oh, ain't nobody talking back. You ain't living long enough yet. You ever, you ever make some plans without praying? Uh-oh. And you know, I, I remember I made, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of making plans. The Bible says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord orders his steps, right? And so one time, you know, I went up in English class when I was my first year of college. You know, I figured I was a good writer. I was like, I'm about to go beast mode up in this class. They're going to learn who I am, and they're going to use me as an example for generations to come in relation to how beastly I am as a writer. So, you know, wrote my little paper. I was like, how you doing, teach? <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> you know, when you see this, you know, just put it up on the wall and let everybody be an example, you know. And so the next class came. Hallelujah. And I got the paper back. And I couldn't see my, what I wrote because there was so much red writing on my paper. And the teacher saw my discouragement. And she said to me, she said, Mr. Mason, she said, all you have to do is take what you've seen that I've corrected, correct it, and hand it back to me. 
In other words, whenever you make plans, make sure you hand it into the divine editor. Don't be proudful about your plans, but hand your stuff into the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can edit it by his blood. And you may have red marks over it, but once he gets finished with it, what he put, gives you in your hands will move forward. But another thing God likes to break, God loves to break up your will. <laughs> Ask Jonah. Jonah was like, God was like, go and preach to the Ninevites. Jonah, for the first time in human history, a prophet of God, chucked the deuces to God. And say, holla at you later, pops, I'm rolling. He goes down, and the Bible says that he goes down, and in the Hebrew, when he pays the fare, it literally can be translated that he chartered the ship. In other words, he wanted to get away from God's presence so bad that he paid everybody's bus fare to get where he was going to get out of God's presence. He went down and took a nap. And you know God, when it comes to us, he loves us. He don't tear us up because he could have thrown us in hell a long time ago. The Bible says that God hurled a storm at the boat. Now, this is what's interesting about that. God the Father, God the Son, they chilling. And God says, this dude think he can run from me. He says, you know what? I got a little something, something for him. God stands up from the, from the throne and he puts his baseball cap on backwards. And he stands. And the Bible says he blew a storm. He, he hurled a storm. So if God threw a storm, I believe he blew the storm into his hand and held it. And all the angels was like, go, 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 go. And then God kicked here, kicked here, spit over his shoulder. And he hurled back, boom. And the Bible says that the storm hit the boat. Listen, the Bible says that the storm was so ferocious that the boat began to break apart. In other words, the very thing that Jonah was putting his confidence in is the very thing that God wants to break up. In your life, whatever you place your confidence in, God loves you enough to break it up in your life. And the Bible says very, very clearly, Bible says very, very clearly here. It says, after that, it says beautifully enough that after this, it says, when we have this treasure in earth and vessels, so the surpassing greatness may free from God and not from us, the last part of this is beautiful. It says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your body. Why does God bring trials our way? God brings, God brings difficulty our way, not to tear us down merely, but to make us stronger. This story and I'm done. A friend of mine was, ran like a 4-2. He was a beast, and he was in practice one day. He's running, and he got hit by one of the guys in practice, snapped his leg clean in two. And he was very, very frustrated about the fact that he was an all-American hopeful but had his leg broken the way it was and the season wasn't over. And when he got to the hospital, he said, Doc, I want to know when I'll be able to run again. And he said this. He says, let me tell you something, family. He says, normally this would put people out because this was a clean break with very few pieces of debris or bone. When I put this back together and I put the cast over it, it's going to heal. But the way it's going to heal is it's going to be stronger after it was broken than before it was broken. Let me say that again. It's going to be stronger after it was broken 
than before was broken. Somebody didn't hear that. You're more stronger after God breaks you than before God breaks you. So what do you do? Submit to God's process of being broken. God bless you and take care.